Well, we're a little sparse this morning. You know, I forgot to mention last week that when the class was over, we're going to send up a, a sign-up list around. You knew there was a catch to this class, right? <laughs> kind of like one of those invitations to steak dinner and just bring your checkbook with you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to send a sign-up list around, and we hope everybody will sign up. Everybody volunteer here. And uh, I wish there were more folks here. Maybe there's some afraid to do that. But here's the sign-up list. It's going to ask, how many of you want to go to heaven? <laughs> we hope everybody will sign up. Okay. I don't think we'll have any holdouts. Maybe there would be. Uh, <laughs> I think I did bring the checkbook. <laughs> 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 take up a collection. We listened to a sermon last a couple weeks ago by <laughs> Phil Robertson. You know who he is? Mm -hmm. the, the Duck Commander um, from the Duck Dynasty. And he has a book, a little book called Happy, Happy, Happy. And uh, it's an interesting book. And he told, uh, he gave his testimony. It was a large church he was speaking in. And he was, um, he had a pretty rough life growing up. And in his early um, married life, had a pretty rough life. But he, he turned his life over to, to, to God. And uh, he, uh, where was I going with that? <laughs> 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 what were we talking about? Uh, uh, go to heaven. What? Going Sign up sheet to heaven. Oh, oh, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> I have these minimum. I'm a I'm a hereafter guy. That's why we're doing this study here. I walk in the next room and say, "Well, what am I hereafter?" So, <laughs> so have those white uh, moments. But anyway, now what were we talking about? Uh, he uh, said that. Um, what was it again? Talking about his rough life. <laughs> the sign-up sheet. Oh, the sign-up sheet. He said uh, he only one time in his. Uh, Christian life, have you ever met somebody that said they didn't want to go to heaven? And um, he and the guy was serious, you know. He said, I'm not going to die. He said, I'm not going to die. Well, a week later, he learned from uh, another friend that that gentleman had died that mm -hmm. week. So we're all going to die, but uh, that's the reality of this earthly realm in which we live. So we're going to talk a little bit about this today um, and fill in some of the blanks here, but I want to begin to just first with a prayer and then uh, and then we'll uh, just uh, cover a few things that we talked about last week. But let's, let's start with prayer. Father, we come before you and we thank you for being our, our Father, giving us a night's rest, a new day to wake up to the world you've made and uh, to know that you're God and you love us and you care for us with a love and a, and a grace that's far beyond what we, what we can even imagine. Oh, they help us to catch a glimpse of the heavenly glory, to see you, to see the light of glory and set our hope and our affections on things above and not on the things of this earth. Thank you for giving us a savior to make that possible and we uh, ask your blessing on this day and we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word let your spirit speak to us and as we worship today help us to lift our hearts and voices to give you all the glory you deserve in Jesus name Amen come on in I was uh, thinking about our I woke up this morning thinking about our singing and you remember how um, last week I uh, quoted from Revelation chapter 4, I think it's verse 1, where John says, I saw a door open in heaven and I heard a voice saying, uh, Come up hither, quote King James, and I will show you what must come, what must take place, what must come to pass. And I woke up thinking about that, that door open in heaven, and I remembered this song. I can't remember the title of it, but uh, it's an old hymn that says, Angels Beckon Me. Through heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You know, I think we 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 lose something if we let loose of all the old hymns. 
that we sing. And uh, because they're so full of theology and they're so full of imagery, morning bread, the old hymns that uh, we've enjoyed for, <laughs> for uh, I've enjoyed them for these 50 years. And um, how many of them, as you open your hymn, hymn book, talk to us about heaven and the glories to come? Um, so we sing a lot of praise songs, and that's okay because uh, we should be praising God. But why do we, I'll just throw this out of a question, why do we have so many songs about heaven in our songbook? Yeah, because we don't talk about it as much as we sing about it. Yeah, we don't talk about it as much as we sing about it. But sometimes we, we sing and we don't even reflect on the words. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone through a service, sing all the songs, and you think later, you know, I didn't even focus on the words. Or we sing songs and we don't have a clue what they mean. Uh, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy grace I've come. You ask a lot of our young people, what's an Ebenezer? You know, they wouldn't have a clue. Anybody here know? <laughs> what's an Ebenezer? Uh, what's the cornerstone? Isn't it a, like a, a memorial? Yeah. Uh, Samuel, yes. Well, just to your question earlier, I also wonder if um, when a lot of those hymns were written 100 or more years ago, because life was so much harder, um, there was... Uh, it was easier or, or it was more necessary for a Christian to focus on what's ahead of them so that to endure just a daily grind of really yeah. hard hard life potentially depending on the yeah. circumstances that they're in. Think of uh, uh, people who were enslaved uh, in the Civil War and all the spiritual things and hymns that they sung this. That I quoted one a couple weeks ago that great getting up morning. Uh, the hope and vision of a better world, a better life, freedom and glory to come. And actually in the book of Romans chapter 8, it tells us that we're all in bondage. The whole earthly creation is in bondage right up to this very day. But there's the great day coming, remember? Remember that? Um, Ebenezer is a, was a stone erected by a monument or a memorial erected by Samuel and he carved on it the words, uh, Hebrew word Ebenezer which means help and so the second part of it hither by thy help I've come here I uh, there's another song it's <laughs> uh, I didn't know what it meant for a long time um it's kind of a sad, somber song we sing sometimes at the communion. Um, Night of Evan Pinion, brooding over the veil, all around with silence, save the night wind's wail. What is a, a Night of Evan Pinion? Dark night. Yeah. What's Evan? Uh, it's a Latin word for, for black, dark. And uh, what's a pinion? Opinion is like a, a hen brooding. No. Uh, feathers. Feathers, yeah. yeah. Wings like of a raven or a crow. Opinion, yeah, feathers. Yeah, right. So it's a night as dark as the of the a black raven's wing feathers. And it was, so you see, it's just kind of a poetic song. And we, sometimes we sing over these songs and we, we, uh, don't even realize what they mean. Here's an article I, I came across this week that's quoting mostly from C.S. Lewis, but uh, a young man saying, I grew up thinking and singing a lot about heaven. The little conservative church that I grew up in in Oklahoma and, and Kansas made much of the sweet by and by. We had a... <laughs> Elder's wife in Minneapolis where we live, and she said, I hate those old songs, and we use words like I reckon and by and by, and you know, she's ready to jettison all those. And I said, Well, you know what by and by means? One day we're going to say bye bye to this world. That's what it means. Okay. <laughs> so we sing these old hymns, the sweet by and by. 
Yeah. Yeah. Watch your checkbook. <laughs> he said later in life for a, uh, late in life for a season in my 20s, I convinced myself that it was too much to think about heaven and, and it was somehow bad. All those old songs and sermons about heaven were quaint comforts, but theologically unsophisticated and perhaps even counterproductive. If we think too much about heaven, I reasoned, wouldn't that make us apathetic about our tasks on earth? Wouldn't it render the glorious beauty of this world and the dignity of the work we've been called to less glorious and less dignified? That was the, one of the points I mentioned last week. One of the arguments of skeptics is that if we're focused on the heavenly, we don't think about the earthly. So we, we uh, are drawn there, but we neglect what's here. And uh, he goes on and quotes C.S. Lewis. I no longer think like that. He says, as I've matured in life and faith, I agree more and more with C.S. Lewis, who famously observed, if you read history, you will find that Christians who that the Christians who did the most to present uh, for the present world were just those who thought most about the next. Uh, it's since Christians have largely ceased to think and sing of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Contemplating heaven, singing about it, longing for it, the desire for it. Didn't Paul say in Philippians, I have a great desire and to depart and be with Christ. Strong longing and desire. Uh, these are good things. To be oriented around the eternal is to be more joyful in the temporal. This is the temporal world we live in. Ironically, we're most productive and satisfied when we see ourselves as pilgrims here with heaven our true and permanent home. This perspective also provides ballast and endurance in seasons of suffering or context, uh, context of oppression, like you were saying, previous generations and our own, right down to the, what does Paul say in Romans uh, 8, the bondage, the, the decay, uh, the frustration right down to the present day. Um, <clears throat> in highly comfortable, privileged places, it can be easy to think less of heaven. But for those in pain or those experiencing injustice, the thought of heaven is a necessary balm. Our worst moments on earth can inflame our hearts with hunger for heaven. But so should our best moments, the most piercing, powerful experiences of beauty, goodness, truth in this life are but echoes and flickers of heaven after all. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. So let us live in that spirit, embracing the beauty of this world, not in spite of our eyes being fixed on heaven, but because of it. Did anybody see the sunrise this morning? Mm -hmm. Oh, and the whole sky lit up in paint and, <laughs> and, and glory, and, and it's in the winter because the sun is lower in the south that, that you see it. And uh, our kids live on the west side of the mountain, and they see it. Uh, the sunset and the whole mountain glows with with beauty. By the way, what was the original name for Pikes Peak? James Peak. Pikes Peak. No, what was James. it? Was it James Peak? No. Well, I don't know if it was. Maybe it was called that. Maybe it was. <laughs> uh, Zebulon Pike never stepped foot on Pikes Peak. He said man would never reach the top. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Ute Indians named it Tava. And as you drive through Woodland Park and as, as you make that sharp bend uh, to the west, <clears throat> there's a little park on the side of the road and there's a big plaque there. If you ever notice it, look to the side, to your left, and it says Tava on it. You know what Tava means? It's a Ute Indian word means Sun Mountain. 
Pass on the Mountain. So that was that's the original Ute name that was given to it. And the beauty of the earth is uh, uh, beckons us. And I think of the verse where Paul says, "Eyes have not seen, nor ears heard, nor has it ever even entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him." Uh, as you, some of you know, I like to pick up rocks and uh, do a little lapidary work, cutting and polishing rocks and making jewelry. And I'm amazed always to just take an ordinary rock, like a geode or a thunder egg or an agate, and cut it open and see the fantastic beauty that's inside it. And I've cut rocks that look just like that sunrise this morning. Uh, inside, and uh, they're they're stunning. And uh, I've gotten to meet a lot of uh, old guys like myself in the lapidary and uh, collecting rocks, and even little kids just love it. We have a group in our rock club called the Pebble Pups. Uh, <laughs> kids almost more than adults. A lot of us, you know, in this age, uh, don't care anything about rocks. But anyway, kids love it, uh, and. Um, I tell some of these old guys, I said, you think this rock you're holding is pretty? You know the Bible ends in the, in the last chapter of the book of Revelation saying, the foundations of the city were made of all manner of precious stones. I said, you don't want to miss that. <laughs> and a lot of them say, yeah, and they'll shake their head and say, amen, and others look like, oh, you're one of those guys. <laughs> yeah. Religious groups here. <laughs> so last week I ended by saying, uh, let's take a look at the unseen realm. And uh, we're not going to do that. I want to just, I've got a list here. I can't do all these or talk about all of them, but maybe we will in the coming weeks. A brief look into the unseen. There are numerous places in Scripture where this curtain is pulled back and we're given a glimpse into the unseen realm. Um, I did a sermon series a number of years ago, I still remember it, most of them I've forgotten, um, called The Prostrating Presence of God. Prostrating, not, not prostrating, prostrating presence <laughs> of God. Where in Scripture you, you see the story of people who were suddenly brought into the presence and glory of God, bathed in brilliant light, and guess what they do? They fall on their face to the ground. And uh, there's a number of these. Moses is one of them at the burning bush. Moses, Moses, he hears God speaking to him. And the angel of the Lord speaks out of the flaming bush that was not consumed. Uh, uh, here's my list. I've got about 25 of these. Uh, Abraham on the plains of Mamre uh, in um, Genesis 16. He's visited by three strangers. They walk into his camp. He doesn't know who they are. He offers them hospitality. And they explain what their mission is to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and get things straight down there. <laughs> and uh, one of them, the two leave and one stays there. And Abraham recognizes him and calls him the angel of the Lord. And then in the same text calls him Yahweh, Jehovah. Uh, Jacob had a, had a dream at Bethel. He sees angels ascending and descending on a stairway that reaches into heaven. And he looks up and sees the glory of heaven and he called that place, named it Bethel. Bethel, what does Bethel mean? House of God. House of God, yeah. Beth is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Alpha, Aleph, Beth, uh, Beth. And then L, E-L is short for Elohim. Uh, House of God. Uh, he was so moved by what he saw. Moses at the burning bush. Uh, Moses descends from Mount Sinai radiating with, radiating with the Shekinah glory of God. His whole body lit up in brilliant light and he had to put a veil over his face. It so frightened people at uh, his appearance having stood in the presence of God. Joshua sees an angel. Uh, Eddie's brought this out in his sermons. Uh, suddenly he's confronted by uh, a warrior uh, 
welding a sword. And he says he is the commander of the Lord's army. And he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Uh, by the way, um, one of the first things that angel said to Joshua was, and it's echoed throughout the whole book, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. And so many of these, I, I'm going to skip through these, but uh, so many of these uh, appearances of God, of the angel of the Lord, and people falling in their, on their face in fear, the first words they hear are, do not be afraid. Eddie's done this uh, sermon on uh, Mary, and Gabriel appears to her, and she's frightened. And the angel says to her, Actually, I take that back. Often the first word they spoke was their name. Fred. Mary. Moses. Hearing God speak your name. That uh, first episode of the Chosen series where, uh, where Jesus speaks her name, Mary. She was known by... Uh, uh, a different name, Lilith. Lilith, yeah, which was a demon, yeah. a name for a demon. And Jesus calls her by name, Mary. So many of these uh, examples, then they hear those words, do not be afraid. You kind of get the idea God doesn't want us to be afraid. But I think if suddenly, you know, we were visited by an angelic being and the whole room lit up in light, we'd be afraid. Well, our knees would be knocking like a Belshazzar in the book of Daniel, where his knee, King James says, his knees smote one against the other. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to, oh, I was going to mention one, because uh, we're going to come back to it um, in future study. There's a man riding along. I don't know if he was on horseback or if he was walking. He was on a 150-mile trip from Jerusalem to Damascus in Syria. He was bent on finding Christians and having them killed for their blasphemy. And suddenly a brilliant light shines around him, and his whole life changed. His whole life changed. I sometimes wish that God would take people I know that have hearts so hardened against the Lord that all of a sudden, they'd have that kind of a Damascus Road experience. Well, um, let's uh, take a look at this chart. I've, I've got up here in blank charts this morning. And uh, talk about these, these two realms. Uh, did you know that the word heavenly realm is uh, mentioned six times in the book of of Ephesians. So this is not something we're making up. It's there's a heavenly realm. And it's called Jesus called it the kingdom of heaven. Um, when we did our psalm study, I can't remember which study we did. I pointed out that the word parable uh, comes from a Greek word parabola or if you if any of math folks in here where you see a curve like this a parabolic curve. It's from here to there. It's earth stretching to heaven. And so the heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like, here's heaven up here, the heavenly realm, and he's describing it with some with an earthly story. Like uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a merchant who discovers this great pearl worth everything. He sells everything to heaven. Uh, what is, what's the parable teaching us? Heaven's worth all you have. Nothing in this world can compare with what's here. Okay. Um, I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 1 because this is where it all begins. Right? So what was there in the beginning? God was there. And God was there with a plan. And God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. He created the earthly realm. 
this is the story in Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 2, when Phil um, uh, Cornwall was teaching a couple summers ago, I think. He did a whole series on the creation account in Genesis, and he referred to the, the story like God creating a, a, a marvelous temple. The heavens are the temple of God. And Solomon says that when he builds the temple. Remember that? The heavens, the highest heavens, cannot contain you, much less this temple I built, we built. So uh, the whole creation was like a, a a gorgeous temple in which God dwelt uh, in glory. <clears throat> so uh, the, I'm not going to go into all of this, but the story here is that um, um, God begins the creation. And he begins to, uh, to lay it all out. In the beginning, there was nothing but Chaos, darkness was over the, the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Chaos, darkness, and the Spirit of God moves over it and begins to order it and um, and and bring all the creation together. The Holy Spirit is God working, moving to bring order into chaos. Um, you know, last week I mentioned that God is the witness of God is in His Word and in the creation and in the in the manifestation of Christ in the world. Uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw God. We saw the glory of God. And another way in Ecclesiastes, uh, I think, it was chapter two or th no, chapter three, where that long list of time, time, time. Um, it says God put eternity in the heart of man so there's something in us that that wonders I wonder as I wander I look up at the stars the winter uh, sky the solstice uh, <coughs> sky is gorgeous and, and beautiful uh, in the winter I don't know why but it is. Doesn't it seem that way? Maybe it's just the alignment of the stars, but they seem so much brighter in the, in the wintertime. Um, and David wrote in the 8th Psalm, when I look up, I see the, the moon, the stars that you created. What is man? He's wondering, what is man that you are mindful of? Him? Son of man that you even think about him? And the answer comes back, um, God made man a little lower than what? The angels. A little lower than the angels. Um, well, didn't that kind of tell you the angels already existed when man was created? Uh, and you crowned him with honor and glory and set him over all the works of your hands, given him dominion and authority over all the creation. God did that for man. And why do you think God created mankind? Relationship. Yeah. Relationship. God is love. What? As co-rulers? Or as, as not... As uh, someone to... Um, to take care of the earth and to be... have dominion over that. Yeah. Maybe co-rulers co is not maybe too far off uh, because we've been given authority, dominion, power. And uh, this, this earthly realm is put in our care. Not that God is not caring for it. Of course He cares for it. He sends His rain on the just and the unjust and He cares for all things and He's, he's made the seasons and um, uh, cares for all mankind. But we are sort of co-reigning with God, I guess, in the stewardship of, of this earth. Um, so we have the days of creation laid out here. Oh, I started to, uh, I started to say, uh, you know, in addition to uh, putting eternity in our hearts, there's 
there's something else in us. Um, it, it's it's the desire to create ourselves because we're made in God's image and God is the creator. And so we want to create. What's the difference between our desire to create and God the creator? The tools. What? The tools. The tools, yeah. And the materials, yeah. God created from nothing, as a, a theologians say, ex nihilo, from nothing. And uh, the Word spoke creation into being. Uh, our, being our creation came into being with a spoken Word. Um, we, on the other hand, we take what's in this created realm and we shape it and form it and create. And so man wants to explore. He wants to, we want to find out. We, we send probes into deepest outer space to see if we're alone in the universe. That, that uh, inquisitive mind that we have uh, to paint, to sculpt, to write, to sing. Uh, as God has given us dominion over the earth. Um, <laughs> this brought this in for an illustration. This, I don't know if you can see this. Can you see that over there, Rick? Um, this is a sculpture uh, called American Woman. Um, solid white marble. Uh, it started out as a chunk, one, a 10,000 pound piece of white marble. Guess where it came from? Marble, Colorado? Marble, Colorado, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, uh, if you've ever been there, it's near Paonia. Um, there's these huge mines of big, giant blocks of white marble. That's where he got the, the, this piece of marble. And by the way, uh, the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. was made from marble, Colorado marble. Um, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Washington, D.C. from the marble found right here in Texas. Colorado, jeez. Sorry. I'm a hereafter guy. Um, so I got this uh, July or June first, uh, 2018, to Larry, American woman from Francisco, <laughs> and actually I have a block of it. And uh, I don't know how long he worked on that 10,000-pound piece of marble, but he had it in his mind, and he chipped away at a solid block of marble until that came out. It was in there all the time, but uh, <laughs> he worked at it till it till it came out. I think of Michelangelo and his uh, beautiful works like the Statue of David and uh, uh, one called the Pieta, which is uh, a beautiful statue in Rome of Mary holding the body of Jesus after he's taken down from the, the tomb. And of course, he was a brilliant scientist and a painter and painted the, the, uh, the ceiling in the Sistine Chapel. Uh, what is there about us that wants to create to paint, to sculpt, to cut a rock in half and polish <laughs> and see the beauty in it. Uh, I think God put that in us. It goes all the way back to the creation and our being made in His image. So we start here on the first day of creation, all is darkness and void. And God takes His paintbrush and streaks a, a, a streak of color, a streak of white, of light across it. And he smiled and said, that's good. Uh, I think I'll work on this some more tomorrow. So he comes back the next day and he creates uh, all of the beauty, the, the heavens, the oceans and water, teeming life, the earth, the dry land and vegetation and uh, the trees and flowers of his creation and the uh, and uh, the animals that roam the earth. If you're watching any of the nature programs, or just uh, uh, you just see it and think, wow, 
uh, the awesome hand of God. And last of all, He made man. And after each day of creation, what did He say about it? He said, wow, it's beautiful. That's good. And when He created man, what did He say? This is very, very good. You see, uh, we occupy in the heart and mind of God um, a special place. A little lower than the angels. And God created the angels, and we're going to study this uh, in a future lesson here. What are the angels? What do they do? <clears throat> How do they serve God? Um, are there evil angels? And if so, why? And why in the in the beginning here in the creation in the Garden of Eden is there a tree called the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. Okay, they're present already in the creation in the perfect uh, realm that he created and saw it all and said it's very good. And he rested on the seventh day. Uh, evil is already there. Where did that come into the picture? Uh, and God says, of every tree of the garden you may eat, but there's a tree I don't want you to even touch it. Called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And next to it or close by in the garden was another tree. What? The tree of life. The tree of life. Okay. And <clears throat> we know the story of what happened. Satan, the serpent, uh, disguised as a serpent, uh, tempted the woman and tempted man. And by one man, sin entered in the world. And along with it came the penalty. The wages of sin is death. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. That was not God's plan for His creation and for mankind. Um, in fact, if I were going to uh, speak of Eden, I would have to... Uh, the Garden of Eden, I have to do something like this. Where Eden and the the heavenly realm and the earthly realm are sort of merged or melded together. And God is present in His creation. So present that it says here in Genesis uh, chapter 3, I'm sorry, uh, let's see. Um, <clears throat> where does it say that uh, the Lord uh, walked in the garden? Um, Verse 8. Of chapter 2, is three, it? 3. three. Yeah, read that, would you, uh, Fred? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Okay. I think of that other song. Uh, My God and I, we go for a together. We walk and talk as just good as good friends shouldn't do. We clasp our hands, our voices ring with laughter. Uh, My God and I, we go on in, on unendingly. You know, the, uh, I, I think that song really reflects that God's original purpose. And Keith, you you like to quote those many places in Scripture where it says, "I will be their God, and they will be my people." This this close, intimate communion, God present in His creation, and it all changes. It all changes in a moment. I wrote down in my notes last night. Um, God did not create the devil. Think about that for a minute. He created an angel that turned bad. He created an angel that turned bad. The devil was a product of an angel turned bad. And we're going to study that more. Um, Lucifer, Satan. Um, probably the, the highest angel in God's creation. And he goes bad. Why did... I'm getting ahead of myself here, but um, th this is what happened. Why is this serpent there in in the, the garden? 
And, and notice what he tells, the serpent tells the woman. Um, did God really say, you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? God didn't say that, did he? He didn't say you can't eat from any of the trees. He said you can eat from all the trees, but I want you to avoid this one. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit, uh, eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Don't eat it, don't touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, like God. Guess what the serpent wanted to be? He wanted to be like God, okay? And that's why he's our, our um, adversary, our, the tempter. He wants to, to rob God. Uh, if, if human beings um, are the, reflect the glory of God and he can get human beings to turn their backs on God, it takes glory away from God. Okay, and we're, we're people who sing glory to God. And what does Satan want? He wants the glory to come, come to him. You'll be like God, he said, and uh, you will not surely die. Now, in the eighth chapter of, of the Gospel of John, Jesus points his finger at some of the religious leaders and he said, You are of your father, the devil. <clears throat> Satan was what from the beginning? A liar. a liar, a liar, okay. So unfortunately we've got uh, sin and death and we've got lies. <laughs> He's a liar. What else have we got? How did, uh, when uh, God is walking with uh, Adam in the garden, What's Adam doing? Hiding. He's hiding, okay? Hiding. Do people hide from God? Try. Try to, yeah. God calls out to him, Adam, Adam, where are you? Do you think God didn't know where Adam was? <laughs> he knew where he was. Well, they were fear started too. Yeah, yeah. I was afraid. Yeah. Yeah, fear. What else? He says you'll be like God knowing good and evil. Suddenly their eyes are opened and they, what are they, what are they seeing? What are they knowing? They were naked. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <they're> not. <laughs> evil, shame. Who told you you were naked? Before that, they had no no concept of it. And um, what else? Is there anything else in this text? They put the blame on the woman. <laughs> Blaming. Yeah. yeah. Accusing. Uh, guess what the term Greek term and Latin term for the devil is? Diabolos. You heard that term. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean? Slanderer, accuser. Uh, the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Satan was cast down to the earth. And did you see anything else in this text? Well, the nakedness would excuse me, imply the exposure. You know, they've been exposed yeah. for what they've done. Okay. Or stained with, with sin. When we were first married, and I was a young preacher, we were, um, we were pretty poor, and uh, I couldn't afford to go buy a nice suit to be up preaching every Sunday. And Sharon had a lady in our church, uh, a seamstress who made me a white suit. <laughs> white suit. It was a little bulky, and then wasn't the best. <laughs> she laughs about smoking. <laughs> but I always pictured, uh, you know, we visited Carlsbad Caverns. You ever, some of you have done that. You get down there and they turn out all the lights and it's just 
black as can be. And I always pictured walking through a coal mine in that white suit. <laughs> and thought, you can't go through this world <laughs> without the stain of sin. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember what happened to that. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. Uh, do you see anything else in the text? How about the place, this garden that they they live in? They're banished, aren't they? Banished, driven out. Okay, they're not going to see it anymore. And what else? What well, happens to the? Like in in the garden. They're in that circle, right? Where yeah. where those two touch. Yeah. And then when they're banished, now they're cut off from the heavenly realm. In fact, how does the chapter end? They're driven out. The guard, fiery, uh, no, cherubs or whatever, angels guarding where they couldn't get. Yeah. Um, somebody read that for us. <laughs> Verse 24 and, yeah, 24, 3.24. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed the mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay. Why is he guarding the way, locking the way? As you said, this, this barrier has the barrier has been uh, separating God from man. No longer that intimate fellowship, no longer man walking in the presence of God. And what's over here? The tree of life. Okay. And over here is that Free of the knowledge of good and evil, unleashed on the world. And uh, he tells them that this uh, creation, this uh, world, will, uh, because you've listened to your wife, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it. What else is over here? Pain. And work. Hard work. You know, I don't think work was a punishment. <laughs> Before he ever sinned, they were told to, to work the garden to take care of it. But painful toil. Not just work, but painful toil. Thorns and thistles. I kind of see the heavenly round as club med, and they got kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you will eat the plants uh, of the field, but the field will produce thorns and thistles. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground from which you were taken, from the dust of the earth. From dust you came, to dust you shall return. So look at what we've got over here. Uh, and the worst enemy of all is this one, death. Okay. Um, what happens next as we continue... In the Genesis, what's the uh, next event? Birth. Chapter four. Childbirth. What? Childbirth. Um, Cain and Abel. Okay, the pain of childbirth, but then what happens? Murder. Murder. Can you imagine that? The first son of Adam murders his brother Abel. Murder is in this fallen world. Um, they're driven out of paradise. Cain kills his brother. They're blocked from the tree of life. Uh, and as you go on into the text in chapter uh, uh, 6, the flood. Verse 1, men began to increase in number on the earth. Daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the daughters of man. They were beautiful and they married any of them they ch they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will, uh, will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. Okay. 
death, mortal, mortality, temporal world, all of this. What does temporal mean? For a short time. Yeah, temporal, temporary, short time, doesn't last. Um, there were Nephilim on the earth in those days. Verse 4, we'll talk about that another time. Who were the Nephilim? But now look at verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And so wickedness multiplies in this heavenly realm. Wickedness. God is seeing this. Uh, if, if God could weep, he must have been weeping. He saw the wickedness of men and how wicked the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Nothing but evil. They couldn't even, uh, in the Psalms, David wrote, in their, in their thoughts there is no room for God. And that describes these people. Um, the Lord was grieved, okay? Uh, uh, where does it say? Uh, where does it say? Um, uh, verse 11. The earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of what? Violence. Oh, uh, by the way, a little aside here. You know what the Hebrew word for violence is? Hamas. That's that's real. That's true. The Hebrew word for violence is Hamas. It's found 67 times in the Old Testament. Always translated Hamas. Uh, 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 violence. Kind of interesting thought, isn't it? We live in a world that is full of wickedness and violence. Now, wait a minute. We just started out saying the beauty of the earth. This is my father's world. To my listening ears, all nature sings while around me rings the beauty of the spheres. This is my father's world. Is it our father's world? Yes, but not as he originally intended it. Yeah, there you go. Here's the painting and God's signature on the bottom. What? We think it's just people that are violent, but if you go out, like, yeah. say in Africa and see a lion attack a, you know, an animal, yeah. and see skeletons laying around where yeah. one thing has been eaten another, you know, it's, it's not. Yeah, no wonder uh, later it'll say the lion lays down with the lamb. You know, it's, things are going to be different over here. <laughs> okay. And um, Paul in Romans 8, uh, Chapter 8, I think. The whole chapter is talking, uh, it's talking about future glory. And it's a great chapter. It's, um, a lot of questions arise out of that chapter. Uh, it starts out, <coughs> Paul saying, um, oh, let's see here. Uh, what verse? Verse uh, 18. Um, Pain, murder, I should have included the word suffering here. Are we going to get out of this world without suffering? I don't think so. Without pain, without wickedness, uh, wickedness in our own lives or being a witness to wickedness, what's happening in our world today? Doesn't you know, it says God, it grieved God. Does uh, you ever wake up hearing the news and grieve? What's happened to our country? What's happened to our world? Uh, where are we going? So the world is uh, full of suffering, and uh, Romans 8 18 says, I consider this present suffering not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There is no comparison between this world and this world. And as we get into it and we ask the question, what is heaven? Uh, we're going to find out it's just the opposite of all these. It's just the opposite of all these. Death, heaven is a place where there's what? No death. Uh, none of this. It's all outside. It's all cast out. Uh, and it's all going to be destroyed. 
John says, uh, it's the second chapter of 1 John, I believe. Um, all that's in the, uh, 1 John 2.14, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he says the pride of what one has and does. And commentators call that approbation lust, the desire, the three lusts, that's another study. Um, but this world is full of it. All that's in this world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and it's all passing away. It's all going to pass away. And uh, Sharon likes to remind us, uh, John 16.33. What's it say? <laughs> in this... In this world, you'll have trouble. Yeah, in this world, you're going to have trouble. So here we are in this earthly realm. We're going to have trouble. We're going to have suffering. We're going to, uh, we're going to have times of hiding. We keep, uh, beloved, if our hearts condemn us, that's, that's hiding the sin in our life. God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Uh, fear, shame, suffering, wickedness, witness to violence in this don't, world. Don't oversell it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I hate to dwell on this because the whole purpose of the class is like Paul says in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, it's, uh, verse 15 or 18, uh, I pray that God will enlighten, open the eyes of your heart that you might see the hope to which you're called. He wants us to see what's over here. And we really can't because we're not suited for it yet okay we can't but we can imagine it we can imagine it i think god gave us an imagination that creative eternal uh, uh, question mark in our life a place that god has reserved for himself within us and we want to know and we want to know because this world that we live in, as beautiful it is, as it is, it's God's world, but it's been tainted by sin. And Satan, uh, you know, at the uh, temptation of Jesus in the wilderness in uh, John chapter 4. Um, no, it's not John 4, Matthew 4. Uh, you see all these kingdoms of the world, Satan said? I will give them to you if you will fall down and worship me. Were they Satan's to give? Is it Satan's world? He's the prince of this world. Yeah. Um, Satan is getting ahead of us. We're going to study who Satan is. But Satan is a usurper. He thinks it's his world. And there's a... I don't know if any of you ever saw the, the uh, Folks on the Family series, The Truth Project with uh, Del Tackett. Uh it was really a good video series. But he's talking about this and God creating um, Satan, who was, a, who was a guardian cherub in the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> and he, Satan says, when he sees the wonder and majesty of God's creation of human beings, he says, are they mine? Did you make them for me? Are they mine? And when he finds out they're not his, he's uh, bent on destroying what God has created. That can't be his. So I guess we're out of time. But uh, anyway, you know, as we go on in this story, we, we see the wickedness, the Hamas that fills the world, and the uh, antediluvian world full of, of wickedness so that God has to wash it clean. And then shortly after that, we encounter in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel and the efforts of man to create a new Eden on earth. That's what I think it is. So we'll come back to that next time and we'll talk about it. Uh, what was the purpose of Babel? And why did God confound and confuse their tongues and scatter them over the earth? Same stuff. All this stuff is going on uh, today. Okay, um, we'll pick up there next time, and I hope we spend a little more time over on this side, <laughs> a little, a little bit more. Uh.
encouraging to all of us. Any questions or thoughts? I know you have a lot of questions. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> okay, thank you. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.